I understand that you think I acted too emotionally. And putting aside the fact that men always say that about women they work with, I'll get straight to the point. I am emotional. I do bring it into my work. It's what motivates me. It helps me get into the headspace of our victims, see what they've seen, even if I don't want to, even if it horrifies me. And I think it makes me a better agent. If you have a problem with that, I'm sorry. You can't fire me. But I hope you don't. And I'm Brent, and to finish out our first year, and to honor the end of the Moffat era, we've gone a little wibbly-wobbly. That's right. Our guest this month is fellow podcaster Eric Malinsky, who hosts Imaginary Worlds, a podcast which examines sci-fi and fantasy worlds and why we create them. And because there's more than one of everything, this episode contains two interviews with Eric. The first was recorded a few months back, before he had watched a single episode of Doctor Who. We then return to the present to see just how far Eric has gotten in his Doctor Who viewing. And after that, we move on to one of his favorite shows, J.J. Abrams' Fox sci-fi hit Fringe, and discuss why we can't stop talking about it. Needless to say, spoilers for Fringe abound. And all that's coming up right after this. All I needed was the love you gave All I needed for another day And all I While I didn't know it until recently, I was first introduced to this month's guest in 2015 via a mental floss story on the reimagining of the characters from the Rugrats television series, a show in which he was a storyboard artist. He has since moved on from television to radio, reporting and producing, and now hosts the ever-entertaining and informative podcast Imaginary Worlds. Eric Malinsky, welcome to Who and Company. Thank you very much. It's great to have you on. I'm going to jump right into a question that, since we found out that you could come onto the show, I'm dying to know about. Do you have any idea, since you were a storyboard artist for the Rugrats, any idea how the Daleks showed up in the background of the 1992 Season 2 episode, Toy Palace? Oh, no, that was... The Rugrats lasted so long. I mean, I I always used to say that show jumped the shark three times, <laughs> and uh, I think I was on the... Th- like, it jumped the shark when they added Dill. It jumped the shark when they added Kimmy. It jumped the shark when they became tweens, when they went to junior high. And so right. I joined the show around the time Kimmy was added. So gotcha. I was in college when that episode <laughs> showed up, so I have no idea. <laughs> Because it's one of those things where uh, when doing research for Doctor Who and television and the repercussions that Doctor Who has across all sorts of media, 
this appearance in Rugrats has always been so curious to me. And uh, I thought, this is this just feels like kismet. Maybe this is the universe's colliding. Maybe I'll get an answer to this. Uh, it was me. I put it in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's I mean, what I wanted you know, to hear. Yeah, I mean, I joined, you know, I joined whatever, like late 90s instead of early 90s. A lot of the same people were still there. So, um, you know, it's, it's, one of, it's one of those shows where you, you know, you just have a lot of adults who have a very subversive sense of humor. And, you know, it's, it's the, the cartoons that people draw and put on their cubicles are stuff that, that shall never be seen by anyone outside right. <laughs> you know, the world of the Rugrats. It's like everyone has a very, you know, they're influenced by lots of stuff. It's the people making the, the, these shows definitely do not have the personality of like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, Eric, you're a public radio reporter and producer for WNYC and NPR. So what inspired you to create Imaginary Worlds? Well, you know, so I started in animation. um, And uh, I, you know, after it's one of those things where uh, I think I was just really burnt out from after I went to this like prep school in Boston. And I went to kind of, you know, very difficult or college, academically difficult college. And uh I was just really, and I, and I, and I could draw and I just thought I'm going to move to Hollywood and make cartoons. I love Animaniacs. I love Batman, the animated series will be perfect. And I just found that after seven or eight years, I was sort of bored and I just felt like, um, I, I just felt like, you know, there was, there was so much more that I'm interested in. And, uh, and, and as much as I loved going to school and learning how to make animation, when I got into the industry, I felt like I was on an assembly line. You know, I almost forgot I was drawing for a living because I just, I felt so little joy in what I was doing and, and I love public radio. So I went to public radio. Um, but then there's this other half of me that then is not being fulfilled. This sort of super geeky nerdy, uh, part of me. That's just, you know, you know, I mean, the show I was working for a studio 360, which, um, was from WNYC and PRI. Like they were, no show could have been more generous in letting me do uh, pieces about like comics and stuff like that. But there's a certain point there. They actually, I remember my editor when, once told me, he was just like, okay, I put a moratorium, no more superhero pitches from you. <laughs> like you are not on some <laughs> kind of geek beat for us. Like when you do the story about this, you know, whatever, like, you know, this new exhibit at the, at the, at MoMA or something like that, which is fine. But, you know, I, and then I just saw, I saw other people with, you know, the first, the thing that really inspired me was Roman Mars's podcast, 99% Invisible, because he was a reporter in the Bay Area. And to see him create a show where, um, the you know, you could take all the skills of public radio, but he could make it about the one thing he cared about the most, design and architecture. And he can make the episodes as long as he wanted, because like for those of us who work in public radio, sometimes you'll have a hard limit of like four and a half minutes or you know sometimes even if the the limit is like 12 minutes which feels luxurious and you feel like i jesus i had like two or three times as much stuff to say about that subject matter it it just seems so cool and so then i just sort of put two in together and i just thought you know i should just do this i should create my own version of 99 percent visible but instead of it being about design and architecture let's just make it about you know geeky stuff and i made a list of like everything i'd ever thought of pitching but i knew public radio would never take uh and that was my whole first season of imaginary worlds oh nice did you get to do everything on your list oh yeah no i mean the problem is i've kind of exhausted (laughs) i've been two and a half years (laughs) i've exhausted the list yeah in fact evil plans that was probably the last thing on that list that i knocked off that was the summer wow yeah and i think i've told you this previously uh, 
I discovered imaginary worlds via The Allusionist and your episode on um, Frankenstein. Yeah. Immediately went back and said, well, this sounds fabulous. I've got to check this out. I went, I downloaded the first couple of episodes, listened to those, and then over a long weekend, I I up to date. So what, two, three years worth of, four years worth of uh, episodes? It was, I did a lot of hiking that weekend. It blows my mind when people do that. I mean, I'm very flattered when people do it, but it blows my mind um, <laughs> when people binge through like my entire series. But people, every so often, I get a tweet from somebody who's like, I just discovered your show last week and I listened to all 78 episodes. <laughs> it's one of the things, we are nerds and we like discussing, well, maybe we're geeks. I don't know. Well, that goes into a whole different thing of semantics. Yeah, exactly. But uh, we like discussing the things we like. And it's so fantastic when someone comes along and presents an opportunity to discuss intelligent conversation about this kind of nerdy stuff, which for many of us was sort of a verboten topic for so much of our lives. You know, we're, I think we're all old enough to remember what it was like to be ostracized for liking the things that are now absolutely mainstream. I remember being on a date um, only, you know, this was about 12 years ago and it's just commenting. This woman was like, "Oh, what have you been up to this week?" And I just said, "Well, you know, it's funny. I, I um, I've been on Netflix because Netflix had just come out, and I was like, I'm going back and watching all the episodes of Next Generation that I missed." And she said, "You've got to be kidding, right?" <laughs> that was the last date we went on. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of previous conversations, a few months yes. ago, it's kind of weird to think it was a few months ago. We had a conversation about your failed attempts at starting to watch Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So here's what we're going to do: we're going to go ahead, we're going to we're going to go back in time a little bit. We're going to listen to that conversation and uh, see what that conversation was about. All right. All right, so have you actually watched Doctor Who? I've tried. You've tried. So explain the process of trying to watch Doctor Who. The process of trying to watch Doctor Who is me flipping channels. And I see Doctor Who is on, and I'm thinking, and I'm like, oh, I, Doctor, I've got to watch Doctor Who. I mean, it's just, it's up there in the pantheon of the great science fiction shows of all time. And I start watching it, you know, occasionally I get, to, I start at the beginning of an episode. Um, sometimes I come in halfway through or even less than halfway through and I just, I literally cannot follow it. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it reminds me of when we were, um, buying our apartment and we kept meeting with people, at the banks, like my wife has got a really good financial brain and she'd be talking to the people, at the banks. And, and I, I, every so often the language would, you know, I'd catch some things that would make sense to me. And then very soon they were going off and speaking gibberish again. And I would be like trying and I'd be nodding my head and pretending to follow and I can't. And then it would swing back around to a phrase or some idea I could actually latch onto. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'm back on this conversation again. And then I get completely lost. That is how I often feel when watching Doctor Who. I'm like, why don't I understand what's going on in this thing? And I've, this has happened like several times, and it uh, I, I don't get what it is. Were you aware of Doctor Who growing up at all? Yeah, sure. I remember the old re- the old PBS reruns. Um, I just thought it was really weird. But at that age, I thought Star Trek was weird too. I mean, I love sci-fi, but as a kid, 
I was not. It's funny because when I talked to other people about what geeks they were as kids, I was like, "You were a way brainier geek than I was." I was a. I was really the most basic, you know, Star Wars superheroes kind of geek. I was never like Star Trek and Doctor Who completely intimidated me as a kid, but I knew it was on. I mean, I remember seeing the old, uh, the old when I was flipping channels. But even then, like I said, as a kid, I Star Trek scared me. It was too. Um, it was too dark. It was too. Um, seem morally ambiguous it seemed like it it uh yeah i mean it was it was spooky to me star trek um and i think to me i saw i saw doctor who in kind of that same realm have your friends approached you about this have said you should watch this show oh yeah definitely um and they've told me what the hell is your problem you know you should watch the show I'm like I've, I, I try, and then and then when I get and then I, it's one of those things that I keep putting in the back burner of uh, it's the equivalent of somebody just saying like you know I should really get into Bob Dylan one day and listen to all of his albums, but then you know it's on your bucket list of things to do. So that's sort of where Doctor Who has been in. Is it is it language? Is it the kind of the ideas that are being thrown out? Because you seem to be someone who appreciates science fiction. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, no, it's not like what is this weird science fiction thing. Certainly not that. It's more that I just feel like you need to be very steeped in the world of Doctor Who uh, and the language and the uh, consistency of just understanding what the rules of this world are and why things are happening. And I haven't found this before with other sci-fi shows. Well, I'll start watching and I'll get a little bit hooked into it. I'll be like, oh, this is really interesting. I don't know what's going on, but this is really interesting. I, I want to learn about this show. I want to start from the beginning. Yeah, like I said, I... I I find the rules of the world very confusing to me. I mean, I get he's an alien and he regenerates every so often to be a different actor and he has a companion with him. And the TARDIS is much bigger on the inside than the outside and he jumps around in time. And the Daleks are bad. (laughs) That is as much as I've been able to understand about Doctor Who. Honestly, that's more information than I usually give to folks when I'm suggesting the show. I say, really? okay, you know, look, he's an alien. He travels in time and space. Go. You know, and, and but it also depends, I suppose, when you jump into it. I, I'm sure there are some episodes that you can try watching that are going to feel incredibly dense narratively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because this is, we are talking about a program that has, well, it's in its 54th year now. So going back and watching... Everything takes a bit of time. I mean, it's a little bit like I know when DC did have they've rebooted twice, but before the new Fifty Two, they were saying that they were feeling a problem of that if you if you if you just pick up a comic that there's so much history to the characters and you know you're maybe like why are there four different Robins or <laughs> you know you're why are there three different Batgirls why like I'm you you may be so confused that you just go like ugh. And that's why they were trying to reboot it, but then they realized that you know they were throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with that analogy too, because one of the things I've I've always heard about writing comic books is every comic is going to be someone's first comic, and that is when I read a comic is not always the case. You look at it and going, this is not going to be accessible to a new reader, and I can see that Doctor Who can be very inaccessible if you aren't sure of what's going on or if you find that you are a completionist and you need to start from the beginning if you jump halfway through the middle it can be a little tricky or if you're a doctor who fan wibbly wobbly timey wimey i that (laughs) that was lost on me but yeah exactly exactly 
When your friends suggest that you watch it, why do they say that you should watch it? Oh, they love it, and they think I'm an idiot <laughs> for not <laughs> like. What the hell is your problem? Uh, they just they love it. They're just oh, it's so great. They they you know they don't really sell me on it in terms of this is why you'll love it or this is why they love it. They just tell me how much they love it and how it's like no dummy, give it another shot is kind of basically what I the message I keep getting. So for them, it seems like an emotional. Reaction. Yes, it's a very yes. They they it, it's it's something that's very emotional, very emotionally close to them, which is interesting to me because I mean I love Star Trek and I've watched a lot of Star Trek over my lifetime, and there's some I don't like that much and some I don't, and I um but even the ones I don't like, I'm not crazy about Voyager, but I pick it up and I know exactly what I know what's going on. I know the basic alien races people are. I know the basic premise, but I feel like Star Trek for me is something that I always. It's such an intellectual appreciation of what's going on. I don't have the same kind of emotional gut reaction. And something like Star Wars, I love Star Wars, but I've met people who never watched Star Wars as kids because their parents made sure they only watched like PBS and they were told Star Wars was junk and they finally watched it as an adult and they're like, I don't get it. And I'm like, yeah, I can see that. I mean, you know, it's Star Wars is something that you, you kind of, it's like the Wizard of Oz. You kind of have to fall in love with it as a child. And it always brings you back to your childhood to some extent. And I don't know what it would be like to have never watched Star Wars until the age of 28 or something. But people with Doctor Who seem to have that kind of intense emotional bond with it, um, which is interesting to me because it seems like such a brainy show. Now, I-, I assume Doctor Who himself, or now herself, has a consistent personality from actor to actor. I mean, that's the other thing that seems sort of interesting to me is that I, I love this conceit that that the alien regenerates and therefore becomes a different actor. And I'm just asking you, or maybe I shouldn't ask you, maybe I should just figure this out on my own. How much does the character of Doctor Who vary depending on the actor that's playing him or now her? I will say this, and, and again, I, I like the trepidation in asking me because I, there's a certain trepidation in telling you lest I kind of, taint your your viewing of it but there's a hooness there is a very there's some quintessential qualities that the doctor has and you'll pick up on those if you start watching it uh, especially from i don't want to say the beginning because that we're that's almost biting off more than you can chew but from the episode that i'm going to suggest that you start with mm-hmm. it is many fans choose this episode to introduce new fans to because it covers that it discusses what it is to be the doctor uh, in many ways. Uh, but yeah, there are some certain qualities as you watch even the modern doctors starting from 2005 with Christopher Eccleston all the way up to um, Peter Capaldi and soon to be Jodie Whittaker. Certain qualities are similar, but how they go about manifesting those qualities can change. So the idiosyncrasies of each actor changes and not just from part to part, but really from season to season they evolve. The Doctor evolves every single time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the other thing I think is interesting to me is sort of the Britishness of it and the fact that it, that the show has so many diehard American fans because uh, it's a very English show. And I like a lot of British shows, um, but, the, but there is something that seems to be like very English about the show. And so that may be also part of the sensibility that I'm, I'm just having trouble kind of um, tuning into. Yeah, I, I think that Britishness is something that I find most appealing about the program because in many ways 
that is even more alien to me than the science fiction aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also wonder, too, if even just the idea of the Doctor being the main hero is a particularly British idea. I mean, I feel like if this was an American show, uh, the Doctor would be the sidekick, and the main hero would be the strapping, handsome you know, swashbuckler. The, like, this is almost as if, you know, the, the, you know, he would be in the Spock role, basically, the data role. When the show first came out, the Doctor was a grandfather who traveled with his granddaughter and two teachers that they essentially kidnap. And one of the teachers, uh, Ian Chesterton, is the action hero. The Doctor is, in many ways, the intellectual. He is, in many ways, the trickster. Those characteristics, you're quite right, in American, for American audiences, can be somewhat off-putting because you're expecting him to sometimes maybe shoot first, ask questions later, where he is always about asking questions. And there's a certain element of compassion that doesn't play well with an American action hero uh, that does play perfectly with the character of the Doctor. Yeah. And that's all fine. I mean, it's, you know, that I'd be very comfortable with. But I... I uh... Um, yeah, I wonder whether that's also just another element of why there's an extra layer of alienness to it that, that maybe for some reason I was having trouble just kind of plugging into. Um, and I'm always sort of slightly surprised by how passionate uh, American fans are of Doctor Who. Well, I don't want to talk too much about it because uh, my hope is that we'll, we'll uh, get you to watch a couple of episodes and then we'll bring you back on. Oh yeah, um, no. I'm, this there. is a great excuse for me to to watch Doctor Who because as many of my listeners have written in over the years and being like, "Uh, what's up, dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> you talk about just about everything, but you seem to be ignoring this gigantic global franchise." And I'm like, "I know, I know." So yeah, no. I really this is this is actually a great opportunity for me to finally watch it. Well, Eric, then uh, I look forward to talking to you in the future about your experiences watching Doctor Who for the first time. Yeah, no, me too. Um, All right, cool. Just a few short months ago, I'm very curious now to hear what you have to say uh, with our recommendations. So you've started watching Doctor Who? Started or finished? <laughs> please, please elaborate. I have about two episodes to go. Wow. Yeah, Wait. I'm waiting for the last Netflix disc. Um, I know the basics. I know Bill gets turned into one of the old Cybermen. I know Missy, the old, the John Sims master shows up. Um, I know for some reason Bill's unturned into a Cyberman and ends up in space with her watery girlfriend. I'm not sure how this happens, but, you know, other than that. (laughs) So wait, so wait, are you saying that you've watched it all since the first season five, since the 11th hour? Oh, you know, all right. So I haven't watched absolutely everything. All right. I'll be honest with you. Okay. I have not really watched everything. Um, so basically, uh, so after I talked to you, I watched the beginning of season five. And, uh, you know, I loved it. I mean, I thought it was such a beautiful way of setting up who this character was. Um, and Matt Smith is so incredibly charming. And I love the reveal of Amelia Pond being Amy and the sort of hint of the wedding dress. Um, and I just thought, wow, this is an incredibly charming show. Um, I don't quite understand the whole alien thing, what exactly that plot was all about. But I really got it, you know, and, and, and the idea that this was a new incarnation of the Doctor. 
and then as I made my way through ep- through through that season, um, some of the episodes to me just seemed uh, so ridiculous. Uh, like the weep the the two part Moffat episode. Well, they're all Moffat, but the two part episode with River Song and the Weeping Angels and and Sir Jorah from from Game of Thrones, uh, I thought was so like I literally I was back to the point where I literally couldn't follow the plots anymore because um, it was so convoluted. And the same thing with the vampire aliens uh, in in Venice. Um, and I was starting to be like, oh, man, what the hell is with this show? I don't understand. Once again, I, I, I'm I feel like, you know, my, like it, it was it, so much of it was spent on the doctor trying to figure out what. Like, like trying to solve the mystery, but the mystery was so nonsensical that I felt like he could have been like, ah, I've got it, Amy. We've never left your room. And then like opened a door and they're back in their room. And I, it, like, I felt like it, it was such a throw the kitchen sink type thing. And so I talked to a friend of mine who was just like, is not a fan of Moffat. And she said, you know, maybe you should start with Rose. Maybe you should start with the pilot. Uh, start over again with, um, you know, with Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper. And so I did. I started with Rose and I fell so hard and so in love with the show from that all the way through the entire tenant era. Um, the whole I read Russell T. Davies, the uh, the um, the writer's Writer tale. tale. Yeah. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I just blew me away. I I think some of the best TV I've ever seen. Some of the stuff. Um, I mean, there are a couple dumb episodes in there, definitely. Um, But uh, overall, it was I you know the Slovenes are the worst special effects I've ever seen. (laughs) But um, (laughs) but you know Martha, Donna, Rose. I mean, the whole thing and Wilf and oh my god! I just thought the la the 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 season the 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 whole finale with Tennant and and the master like of his character and that oh my god I was so moved and in those episodes I could not stop thinking about them afterwards I'd be lying in bed and couldn't stop thinking about them so then I was like okay I got to go back to Matt Smith now so <laughs> I kind of powered so then I was like all right you know what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna kind of hit all the main points like I'm just gonna sort of hit all the big story arcs and the stuff that are you know because it's all on Amazon Prime the stuff that are kind of standalone episodes I might just sort of skip. And I had a much more appreciation of the whole thing there. The whole River Song storyline was really a lot of fun. Again, didn't make a lot of sense in the end <laughs> in terms of like the doctor's dead and everybody thinks he's dead. And yet he obviously keeps going and then is eventually going to re- regenerate into Capaldi. I, there's just a lot of things that I just it was like, I, this doesn't really make any sense. And I just I felt like the thing I love about Ma, about Davies is that he... He he lo- he was such a, a fan of Joss Whedon and the idea of like what's the metaphor here? You know, like in the writer's tale, he talks about how how, how it bugs him so much that like leaving Rose on the beach with another version of the tenth Doctor. He's like, but what's the metaphor? Like, who cares? This is just a cool sci-fi concept. Like, like how can anyone relate to this? And it really really bugged him. He felt like he never solved the problem. And then someone sent him an email like two years later saying, I love that episode because it reminds me of when you break up with somebody, there's that one version of you that goes off with them and the one version of you that leaves and you're both thinking of them simultaneously. And he's like, oh my God, that was my metaphor. That's so beautiful. (laughs) I wish I had actually thought of it at the time. I would have rewritten the whole scene to that metaphor. I don't know if Moffat has ever thought like that. Like, I feel like the most 
the most intense emotional Moffat scenes, I don't have the same connection to that I have to the um, the Davies stuff. Although the production values are way, way, way better in the Moffat era, and he's incredibly, incredibly clever writer. Um, but anyway, you know, and then and you know, I mean, the Pons, Amy, and Roy are fine. Um, you know, they're enjoyable enough. Um, Clara is. Uh, I just felt like she was created by a focus group to answer everybody's complaints about all previous, <laughs> <laughs> all previous companions. And she's like three completely different characters depending on the season. Um, and I just felt so bad for Capaldi because I just felt like they just, I mean, part of that, se- that first season was them was about them trying to figure each other out. But I just felt like the actors didn't have any chemistry. And so I really just skipped to the important episodes and all that, that whole run. And then this new, the final, the 10th season with Bill and is just wonderful like she's the companion that he deserves um i don't know why the writing is so much better this season but it just is um you know and they finally got missy back in a really interesting way and i've just loved this last season although i still still am still am firmly in camp davies um oh and then i subscribed to brit box yeah (laughs) and i've gone back and been watching a lot of the original stuff which is the slowest television I think I've ever seen some of it. <laughs> but I've been dipping in and watching all the original, the classic Who Doctors um, and the 96 series film to get a sense of that. Um, and just, you know, I even watched, I watched that four-part um, Douglas Adams one that he wrote with the, de- the, de- the City of the Dead or whatever it was. Um, and, uh, you know, just to get a sense of what they were all about um, and just to get a much better appreciation. I mean, I it's still it's it's one of those things where, like, I feel like if you didn't watch it at the time and you weren't a child in the 70s or 80s and you didn't you didn't have the knowledge of sci fi pop culture to come later. It's just it's so hard for me to go back and watch that stuff and imagine what it would have been like to see it. Although I know a lot of people who have and they just love it. But I I. Uh, I can't do it. It's a failure of my imagination, apparently. Um, but it's very interesting. Uh, oh, and I also watched that made-for-TV movie about William Hartnell and Verity Lambert and uh, Cindy Newman. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been uh, delving into Doctor Who. Uh, do you, wait, so, are you a fan now? Do you consider yourself a, a Whovian or a Doctor Who oh, fan? Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't do this shit just for research. <laughs> So, so just have, to clarify, just to clarify, when did you watch Eleventh Hour? So, how long have you been watching these? Uh, I think we talked on September. Looks like September twenty eighth. We first talked. Yeah. So less than two months. Yeah. Three months. Yeah. 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 Two and a half months. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's wow. Awesome. I am I, impressed. Have you seen your family in any of that time? <laughs> because. I have just, I have like, got, I have become obsessed, like completely. It's like obsessed. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, well, let me ask you this: uh, for most fans, their favorite doctor is usually the first one they watch. So for you, it'll be Matt Smith. So is Matt Smith your favorite no, doctor? Or do that's you have the another? interesting thing. I like Matt Smith. He's fine. Um, he's enjoyable. Um, and then uh, I started. Then I started moving to Capaldi. I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." And then I went to Eccleston. Anyway, the fourth one I saw was Tennant. I had not. The only thing I knew about David Tennant, I didn't even realize he was Doctor Who. I, I just knew him as the psycho killer from Jessica Jones. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it was crazy. After one or two episodes, I was just like, "That's it. That's the Doctor. That is who the Doctor was supposed to be." I don't know what all those other people were doing, but this is the Doctor. <laughs> and like, it's just this weird like feeling in my gut of just like. He will always be the doctor to me. It's so nice. Weird. 
Nice. It's, yeah. It's brilliant when that clicks because th- that's not an uncommon reaction. You know, sometimes yeah. it is the first one you watch because it's like, well, I haven't seen anybody else. But it's brilliant that you have that kind of visceral at the core of your being. Like, yep, this is it. Cool. This is it. Yeah. This is the doctor. Nice. Yeah. Hey, congratulations, man. That's. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> or your condolences, man. <laughs> no, 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 never. I'm just never, kidding. ever in a million years. Yeah. yeah, I was talking to this one guy. I was really, and I totally understood what he meant. This guy was a huge. He's got. He runs a Doctor Who bar in Brooklyn. I don't know if you um, have been there. Um, it's called the Way Station, and they have a TARDIS in there. They built the the door of the bathroom into a TARDIS, so it's cool when you go in. It really is bigger on the inside. And his doctor <laughs> is Tennant, and he said he said his make a wish would be on his dying day. He wants David Tennant standing over him, going, "I'm sorry, I'm so <laughs> sorry." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I get that." Just a question of do you want the blue suit or the other one or the brown one? <laughs> That you even notice there's a difference speaks volumes. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd go with the blue suit. <laughs> so since you've gotten around to so many episodes, is there another story you think works better as an introduction to new viewers, or do you think it would be uh, the eleventh hour? I, have, you know, I totally get the eleventh hour. I know why people would like it. I, I loved Rose. I really, really liked Rose. Um, I mean, that first season is wobbly, and in a weird way, it reminded me of the first season of Buffy in the way that. There's some really gem- there's some gems there, but there's definitely a lot of figuring out what exactly is this thing. Um, but it's uh, um, it's I mean Eccleston, the Ninth Doctor is a fascinating character. I mean the the episode with the Dalek that was incredible. I mean I think I read that Eccleston tried to play that scene where he was stuck with a Dalek like he was a Jew stuck with a Nazi after World War II. Like he was taking it like very seriously. Um, and I know it's it's very weird and mysterious why he quit and all that stuff, but uh, yeah. And Billy Piper is so good. Um, I was actually really cynical when I saw her because she's so beautiful. I just thought like, oh god, they probably found some model. I didn't know that she was like a pop star in England, like a wanted, like you know, called Billy, just Billy. And I, I, I even how, this is how deep I went. I even watched some of her videos from the nineties. Um, <laughs> Uh, but like I, at first I was really, I was just like, Oh God, she's probably gonna be terrible. It's gonna be like Denise Richards, you know? Um, (laughs) but she was so, she is so good and so natural. And, and I feel like one thing that she does so well that Karen, um, is it Gillen or Gillen? How do you pronounce her last name? I usually say Gillen, uh, Gillen, but I, who knows? I feel like so much of, of Dr. Who is cutting to the close-ups, and I feel like she's got like the, Karen Gillum has got like the pouty face and she's got like, I feel like I know her bag of tricks really well uh, as an actress. And I feel like with Billy Piper, she's, I mean, they'll have her react to like a green screen and then they put in the best special effects they could afford in 2005. (laughs) But like her reactions are so genuine that I believe uh, what's happening is what ha- is what's happening, and the whole thing of her and her falling in love with the doctor could have been done so cheesy. But um, I don't know. She she feels so grounded too. I feel like I could go to her neighborhood in London, and this is all the Russell Davies creation. And I feel like I could find that apartment, the flat where Jackie lives, and you know, like it feels so real in a way that I feel like the Moffat companions are just like these orphans that you know 
I feel like the Moffat era uh, Doctor Who is like a show about like he's so obsessed with Doctor Who as a show. It feels more like a TV show about a TV show. Um, And there's a lot less of the social satire that Russell Davies is so interested in um, that I really appreciate. You know, I feel like the scariest villains for me are the ones that appear in like modern day real England. Um, Those are the ones that I find the most kind of disturbing, no matter how cheesy the makeup or effects are. So the Absorbalof. Which one was the Absorbalof? Was was that the exhaust uh, in the cars? That's the uh, the Doctor Light episode with um, the group of Doctor Who fans that are slowly taken over by a. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh Peter K. yeah yeah that was like that guy was so if I had just seen a picture of that guy which I think there is there's a picture of him in the Amazon uh, he's like the screenshot I remember that was one I held off on I was like oh it's one of those bottle episodes I'm gonna cut it it was one of the Doctor Light episodes I'll, I only watched that recently and I just thought that was like heartbreaking and i thought he was kind of terrifying even though it was so like little shop of horrors cheesy oh it's a really good comparison i like that the little shop of horrors yeah so do you have um did you have a favorite episode like from the davies era that like really stood out and went yes this right here (sighs) that's a good question i mean i mean blink is the one that everyone talks about you know of course um but uh you know what? I need to just look right now um, <laughs> to see which uh, ones I really. Um, let's see. Um, you know, one that I. <laughs> it's not one of the best episodes, but the two the two part Daleks in Manhattan I thought was incredibly charming. Um, and uh, as a New Yorker, I really, really I thought they did a. It was kind of delightful, and the Dalek that turns into a. 1940s gangster was so adorable um <laughs> in a weird way i mean um god i'm trying to think of one that i really 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 sold me um what did you what did you think of midnight because that's my favorite which one was midnight midnight is the one where they're stuck on like the or he's uh donna is taking a vacation by herself and the doctor is on like a it's sort of like a train i guess uh kind of like a a tour train they never leave the train. They stay in the. They stay in right. The, it's, it's a. It, it's a one. It's a bottle episode. They're in one compartment the entire episode. Yeah. Oh, you know what? That is the only episode I've missed in that entire season. I just oh boy. realized that. And okay, we're the, not going to talk about it anymore. All right. No, I'm just looking at the list here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the. That's the only one I've. I should. That's the only one I've missed. I think of this whole run. I know what one I just blew me away. Um, was Family of Blood. Uh, yeah. That. It, I mean, in a weird way, it reminds me of The Last Temptation of Christ. Did you ever saw that uh-huh. movie? Oh, yeah. Did you, yeah. Like the idea of like when the devil shows Jesus like, you know, what his life could have been um, mm-hmm. when he holds uh, her hand and, and, and sees his future and how desperately he doesn't want to be the doctor. Uh, oh, it's it's so heartbreaking, that whole episode. And when he does become the doctor, I never, as much as I love the tenant doctor, I never thought of how much is lost. And it's almost like, and yet, even though in that he's kind of cavalier in that episode and later, I mean, the fact that he kills the family, you know, he, the way he's so angry and the way he deals with the fa- that family and the reverberations really come more later on. I mean, the whole lonely God thing was really, you know, the idea that he can't really, he can't, he can't have a wife and children because he would love them more than anyone else. And he needs to kind of, this question of him kind of loving humanity as a whole and making those really hard choices, like only the doctor can do that if he's this lonely God. And I just, 
I th- that to me was the one I just could could not stop thinking about that whole that whole two parter. Fabulous. You know that's based off of a novel. Is it during the the wilderness years? So the, the basically fifteen year break. Um, Paul mm-hmm. Cornell, who is the author of that episode, wrote that as a story for the Seventh Doctor for the New Adventure series. And so it's it's a story that had been used before. It's very different. Um, you know, it, it, the the outline of the story is the same, but, you know, it's a very different doctor. It's a very different companion. It's a very different message. You mean it was going to be with Ace and, the, and Sylvester McCoy, Doctor? Yep. Yep. That's wow. a good one. It's a good one. It's a good read, too, uh, particularly if you know it. Um, several uh, several of the episodes in the early seasons are based off of previously created works. So Dalek, uh, the Robert Sherman, is actually based off of an, one of the big Finnish audios. Hmm. Uh, actually, it's called speaking, Jubilee. Jubilee, yeah. Uh-huh. Speaking of which, have you <laughs> – I mean, you've, you've hit movies, you've hit television. Uh, have you uh, – I have. have I ju- mean, I know. I know about them. I haven't listened. I actually have not listened to any of the big Finnish stuff. Oh, hey, listen. Considering how much Doctor Who you've watched, I think you can get a pass and not delving into the big Finnish. Um, I have to ask. There's uh, there's a ton of stuff I want to ask you, but I oh, have yeah, to ask go ahead. What I know you thought about, about I've the, been rambling. Yeah, I want to know what you thought about the 1996 movie. This is not a question I was planning on asking you, but I'm really curious because oh, I didn't, didn't watch the whole thing. I just watched a bunch of clips on YouTube just to get a okay. sense of it. All right. Right. Yeah, it was fine. It's it's of its time. Um, I know it's the Americanness of it is weird. Um, I feel like it's 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 a weird hybrid. It doesn't it doesn't quite feel like Doctor Who. Um, but uh, Paul McGann's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Boy, next thing we're gonna have to do is start getting you listening to Doctor Who podcasts. <laughs> I know. Now I actually might understand them. <laughs> So, uh, Eric, if you wouldn't mind being our little guinea pig, uh, we would love to start a little segment every few months where we have you back on to discuss where you are in your Doctor Who journey and maybe discuss a favorite episode from that time. Sure. Um, but you mean in terms of episodes I, I will watch, you know, within the next few months? Yeah. Classic episodes or, or you know, obviously the Christmas special or, you know, anything you want to... Anything, yeah, especially the the two part finale that you haven't seen yet. I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Also, yeah, I'm really yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, We're thinking about doing a, a like a mini episode in response to the Christmas special and how it wraps up the Moffat era and something along those lines. Oh yeah, you definitely uh, should do that. Yeah, it'd be very cool. And if if you delve into Big Finish as well, um, or the novels, or you're a comic book guy, so I mean, there's troves of Doctor Who comics. That's how I became a Doctor Who fan was through the comic books in 1983. Wow. Was it in '83? Uh, which Doctor were they drawing? Was uh, it, it was Tom Baker. It was Tom Baker, yeah. Tom Baker. Marvel Comics put it out, and it was colorized versions of the old Doctor Who Weekly magazine. And they colorized it and sent it out. It only lasted for a couple of years, and then they moved on to Peter Davison. And since regeneration wasn't explained in the comic, I had no idea why the Doctor wasn't in any of the stories and why they're calling this blonde guy Doctor. And so I stopped reading. So I didn't read it for like, you know, uh, another 13 years essentially until the 1996 movie when I watched my first episode of Doctor Who. Wow. So my my road is very different. Yeah. But – 
I think but I did I tell a... you Tom Baker was on PBS when I was a kid. Uh, as the doctor or just no i just uh, as the doctor yeah i mean do, the yeah. tom baker era doctor who was on pbs as a kid when i was a kid and i couldn't i i i think i told you back then i couldn't understand it either but i i also found him very creepy and i um i understand why now what he was doing i think it's kind of brilliant this idea that um if he's an alien he's not going to have his reactions are going to be different than what a human his emotional reactions to things um which I think is brilliant now as an adult and watching the stuff as an adult. But yeah, I remember as a kid, it just, he just creeped me out. Cool. Well, one of the things that we do on the show is we like to talk about Doctor Who, but we also know that Doctor Who is not the end all and be all of most people's fandoms. In fact, for some people, they've only been into it for two and a half months. Uh, <laughs> so when we get a guest on, we ask them to recommend a show for us to watch in a couple of episodes to do so so my question to you is what television show did you recommend and why did you recommend it uh i recommended fringe um i am a sucker for alternate universe storylines especially storylines where people meet their doppelgangers um i did an episode about my podcast about how much i like doppelgangers um and particularly the idea that you know the sort of butterfly effect that if, if it weren't for a few things, the whole universe could have turned out differently. And uh, that's one of the things I liked about Fringe. Fringe takes a while to get going. It starts out as... It always At the beginning, my wife was watching it. And I, and I remember every episode, I'd sit there and be like, you know, the X-Files did this story. And then she's like, you know, I said it so many times. She was like, don't tell me the X-Files did this story. Uh, and then when we got to the... They started introducing the parallel universe storyline. I was like... Uh, actually, the X-Files didn't do this. Um, and it evolved into something very, very different. And the thing that I really loved about Fringe was that some stories, if they feel like they've got a good premise going, they kind of, um, they kind of let it drag longer than it needs to because they're afraid of running out of story. And Fringe never did that. They would sort of like, let's run to the end. Let's pretend that every season could be our last because frankly, it could be. Um, we never know where we're going to get canceled. And so um, they re- the show evolved to the point where, like, the last season takes place 30 years in the future, uh, where they've time traveled to this dystopian future. I mean, it's like, uh, because that was, you know, they had really wrapped, they could have easily wrapped things up at the end of season four. And um, so I, I felt like the show did such a great job of if this is true, then what else is true? Um kind of thing and i and you know the characters as well i i really like the characters i thought josh jackson was was surprisingly appealing given that you know dawson's creek normally for any actor i'd be like ew he was on dawson's creek but he's he's really a really appealing and and john noble is is fantastic um as the the sort of um the kind of mad the sort of sweet mad scientist in the middle and his very frightening doppelganger in the other universe. Uh, so, uh, and I and it just never got the attention that I thought it really deserved. So that's my, my that was my recommendation. That's why I recommended Fringe. So did you start watching when it first aired, or did you catch up later? No, I started watching when it first aired because my wife, who then was my girlfriend, was watching it, and I would just be like kind of snarky in the background. It would be on, and I <laughs> I'd be like doing other things, you know, while while it was on. And it, there just came a certain point when they started introducing the whole alternate universe storyline of the doppelgangers i suddenly started like sitting on the couch and watching it with her until the point where i you know we were had to be watching it live and we were both so into it shows like this um are kind of fascinating to watch in the age of the internet 
where you can just jump online right afterwards and have discussions with fans hmm. about theories and, and so forth. This is something very different. I think the first time <clears throat> uh, I took part in anything like that was when Lost came on. But you know, if, if X-Files had been on while the internet was prevalent and in everyone's homes, I think we probably would have been discussing it. And I know it's very easy to draw comparisons to the X-Files uh, as well. Uh, Brent, when did you start watching Fringe? Because I feel like if we're talking about parallel universes, I feel like yours might actually be <laughs> maybe a little, little parallel yeah. our earlier story. We'll see what happened was uh, I think you told me that um, that Eric wanted to do Fringe about two months ago. So um, just – okay, like when the show first started several years ago – um, I remember the commercials that was coming on Fox and, and all this, and I thought, that looks really great. looks sort of like the X-Files, I'll, I'll, but I don't have time to watch it right now. I'll just catch up later. And I never did. And then a couple of years ago, I'm, I'm going through the, the store, and I see some of the old uh, seasons on DVD, like really cheap. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy this, and one day I'm going to watch it. So eventually I get all five sets and they're sitting in my closet for like a year <laughs> and i'm like you know one day when i'm old i'll probably watch these so so <laughs> and then you said hey eric wants to watch fringe and i'm like awesome i've got the whole thing here wow i'll start it and so i started it and there's a hundred episodes and so i started it and i thought you know what i like this i'm gonna see how many of these i'm gonna uh watch before we talk to eric and I just started slamming them, started calculating how many I could watch a day and catch up by then. <laughs> and and I ended up watching the entire series wow. in about in about five or six weeks. Wow. Yeah. yeah you and guys are both nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I think it works. Um, I think it works better as a whole series, as, as a whole if you watch them very close together like that, because there are so many things in the first season that you think are just one-offs, just one little idea here and there that show up seasons, like in the fifth season. And it's a, it's a very important part of the plot, like just little things that are here and there. And they all, the whole thing ties together so nicely. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, I, you know, I think also, I remember the whole Peter being invisible season, half season. I remember thinking that was that I could see why they thought or that no one remembered Peter. Um, I, I could see why they probably thought that was a good idea. But I remember thinking after, you know, it had gone on for like two months in real time. I was like, eh, this is getting a little like, uh, I think they're realizing this is not working. And I was like, I almost wish I had discovered this show later and I could binge through that in a few days <laughs> or less. Yeah, I told my wife it was the fringe binge, and she rolled her eyes. But um, I have to say, um, just watching it, I, I just I really loved it. So I'm I'm really glad you picked that, so I could. That's awesome. <laughs> get right. So what did you that. What did you love about it? Tell me. Uh, well, I have two words for you, John Noble. Yeah, uh, he was just so good as Walter, and um, really the main thing. Basically, this show is, when I first started it, I thought it was J.J. Abrams' version of the X-Files without aliens. And the first year is sort of like that, but then it takes a totally left turn. And, and you know, you have one year where it's about alternate universes. You, ha you have another year where it's about uh, parallel universes. 
another season that's in the future and but it all ties together and uh but the main thing about this show to me is the characters and 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 their development over the five years yeah and olivia too could have been a very one note like She's the tough, brave FBI agent, you know, but but she's a really, really interesting character. Um, and the variations of her are really interesting as well, the parallel universe versions. Uh, Drew, how did you find out about this? When did you start watching it? I watched it on opening night. Um, the first episode aired, and I was like, okay, Denethor's in a TV show. I'll watch that. I mean, I like John Noble. I don't I think I'd only seen him in Lord of the Rings, but it impressed me enough, and I was a big old... X-Files nuts, so I thought this was going to be great. And I watched it, and I enjoyed the first episode. I thought there was a, a, a lot of potential. And my wife sat down and watched it with me, and, and she is not a science fiction fan uh, in general. There, there are exceptions, you know, and when she finds something that we both can watch, we watch the hell out of it. So we, we watched the first episode. It was good. We watched the, started watching the second episode, which starts with a prostitute in a hotel going quickly through the birthing process, like an accelerated birthing, and you can hear bones snapping and these like squelching sounds, and she's like, I'm done. Never again. Nope, done. <laughs> and uh, we, don't, we don't watch a lot of television to begin with, and we usually like to watch when we both can sit down together. So if she wasn't going to watch it with me, I just, I just kind of let it go until my father got obsessed with it. He bought all five seasons, or probably at that point in time, four seasons, just plowed through it and said, you have to watch this. I'm going to give you these seasons. Here you go. Watch watch these. And um, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> and uh, for this, I, I said, I don't think I can watch 100 episodes in the time that I have because I don't have, a, I only have one VCR that I can, act, or <laughs> VCR, boy. <laughs> I only have one DVD. And you're I taping any... things off VCR too. <laughs> I, I got one DVD player. Sadly, the, the one on my laptop broke. So I can only watch in the main living room and my wife is finishing up her doctorate. So there just wasn't like the last of the semester. And I'm not blaming it on her in no way, shape or form. Not that I'm worried about her listening to the episode and, and blaming me, but uh, it just didn't happen. So uh, until a week and a half ago, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch the first two and last two episodes of each season, and I'm going to read up on Wikipedia. And I got as far as season two, and it just stalled. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I watched the penultimate episode an hour ago and was going to watch the final episode right before this interview, and it just didn't happen. So I'm not 100% sure how it ends. Uh but I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed what I've read and what I've, I've seen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny when these these worlds like they sort of grab you or they, or or maybe they don't. You know, it feels like homework or it doesn't. Um, you know, because it's like my listeners recommend stuff to me all the time, and occasionally there's very rarely there's a moment like this with Doctor Who where I feel like I've really become a Whovian. I mean, I, I and also the interesting thing was to go online and discover that the opinions that I had, which are like, huh, you know, I kind of think this and then discover that not only do lots of people think it, but they think it really, really passionately. And the people that disagree with them can't believe they think that, you know, and it was interesting how many of my natural reactions actually fit very neatly within the points of debate within, you know, Doctor Who fandom. Um, 
But, uh, you know, many, many times, like Dune, you know, was like everyone wanted me to read Dune and do something on Dune. So I dutifully watched, I read the first, I read like the first two and a half novels and just finished the, the rest on uh, Wikipedia. I just read the read the rest of what happened. And I just was like, you know, I did my story and I interviewed people who had a lot of interesting things to say about Dune. Um, and, but I was, you know, I felt like I did my duty. The Dune fans were happy. That's all that mattered. And... I moved on. You know, it's just like some things grab you and some things don't. Your Dune episode of Imaginary Worlds is is my eleventh hour for Imaginary Worlds. Oh, really? Uh, that was the first one you listened to? No, it's it's what I recommend to people. Oh, uh, you're kidding? No, I love that episode. Oh, thank you. I mean, there's you. there's there's tons of stuff, but I feel like when I kind of try to see what your show encapsulates, the idea of a well-rounded edu. Uh, like intelligent understanding of pop culture. That was what I, that's what I went with. I just, that kind of hammered home the idea. So I've played that one for tons of folks. Oh, that's good. I mean, I definitely worried like crazy about doing any, saying anything there that might be wrong or offending the Dune fans. I mean, I was very, very respectful of the Dune franchise or just, it's not really a franchise, but whatever. I mean, the, 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 you know, the writing of Dune and, um, yeah, and I, 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 and also I just sort of waited to cover Dune until I'd figured out something that was interesting to me about it. And when I saw the word jihad, and I realized all the Muslim influences, I was like, "Ooh, that's interesting!" Like suddenly I was into it, um, and I was like, "Well, I'm just going to go in that direction." And I sometimes I have to do that with you know, uh, especially because I'm I'm a one man band, so you know I have to f- f- be passionate about something or figure out what's the little the one element about it that I find particularly fascinating and just kind of run with that well um as we said before this is a JJ Abrams show um actually when I first started watching this and reading about it he actually does the theme song and and he plays he plays the theme song on the piano that's he all he wrote the theme song of fringe he did and he performed it that's him playing when oh, it comes you're on. kidding. I had no idea. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, but uh, obviously he did Lost. He did Alias, which to me, this show is a lot more like Alias than it is X-Files, the way it's structured. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, what was it about this show that, that really grabbed your attention? Was it was it Abrams? Was it just because it was sort of like X-Files or was it just on? <laughs> None of that. No, it was like I said, it was the it was when they revealed there was a parallel universe and that they had doppelgangers and that, mm-hmm. you know, when it was when they when we realized that Walter had stolen Peter from the other universe, that to me was I That's had never heard of a story like that before, that Walter's son had died and he went to the other universe and stole the other Walter's son. But but that's not the bad guy. That's the guy that we have come to love. And he's done something terrible, and yet he loves his Peter. And the conflict that that Peter feels, I was like, I have never seen a sci-fi story like that before. That's what like really, really hooked me. Uh, you know, let's go into that because the, we asked for at least two or three episodes recommendations, you know, what you would suggest to folks to watch it. And so when you gave your recommendations, I thought, oh, I'm going to watch the intro. I'm going to watch the first one again, and then I'm going to watch these two episodes. Um, so you recommended Jacksonville and Peter, which in many ways discussed that very story that you're just talking about. What is it about those two stories that you think are indicative of, of a good introduction to the show? Or is it just that that's the linchpin? 
Well, I think that's partly that's partly the linchpin, um, you know. And there's been such build up to see the alternate universe, but I think a lot of the show is is very much about family, and uh, it's such a cliche to be like, you know, you choose your family, you know, the you know that these characters aren't just friends, they're family. But I mean, it it really goes into this idea, and and also too, there's just so many times, you know, it's almost like. Um, uh, you know, again, I, I always think of, the, like, I, I that's why I thought was always the genius of the Joss Whedon shows, was that they always thought about what's the metaphor here. And I think that, you know, in many cases, Fringe is, a, is an adoption story. Uh, it's it's a forced mm. adoption story. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, for Peter to even, uh, you know, for, for us to finally see uh, the other Walter and... Um, and for Peter to sort of to go back and find the home that he came from. And is this still his home? Uh, that is what happens that episode, right? Yeah. So we, we Jacksonville, we find out that the Cortexafen trials were done on children. And yeah. you know, uh, Olivia goes back to kind of see that world. And we're introduced to that. And then Peter is the 19, it's the 1985 where they changed the, the intro and they change the music and they change the filming style. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything yeah, is right. Is such a yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. I had to remember which ones I'd recommend it to. You. That one was. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah, that was. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so funny. I recommend it to you because I loved it. Um, yeah, I think that was also really beautiful. Um, I, th- I think what I, I, uh, I think one of the things I really like about that is um, the. Um, Walter's a good man who's done terrible things. And I feel like he is such an interesting, complicated character in that regard. And there's they that Peter and Olivia have so many reasons to hate him. Um and yet he's he's not all bad. And and he he hates himself. I mean it's later revealed that the reason why he's such this kind of cute fuddy duddy character is because he's removed parts of his brain. And there's even, a, a, I think, a storyline where he starts to, to, to gain that part of his brain back and he's worried about becoming the man he used to be. Um, you know, it's about, I mean, in many ways, it's about forgiveness, um, hmm. you know, and, and I just think it's really, it's really powerful. I mean, it's, it's similar to when, when Olivia realizes that um, Peter has been sleeping with her alternate and she doesn't know if she can forgive him for not recognizing that it was her alternate and not her. Um, and Peter's not sure if he can ever forgive Walter for what he did. Well, uh, being that this show really is about the characters, who would you say are your top two favorite characters and maybe what version? <laughs> what version? <laughs> what version? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Which version of them? Um, you know, I, I, uh, I do really like Peter. Um, it's funny. Okay. So being from Boston, um, I did find it was kind of hilarious how, uh, there's certain like there that you know the, I think they filmed in Canada. There was very little. I mean, ha- their version of Harvard University, the architecturally looked nothing like Harvard. It was very gothic. Um, you know, they also seem to think that you can bop back and forth between heart between New York and Boston, like they're forty minutes away from each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Peter, to me, had this really. Um, he reminded there was something about him that felt very Boston to me. Uh, you know, his even the way his voice, his accent was a little bit of the, kind of like the back of his throat sort of thing. And occasionally he even let a little bit of a Boston accent slip. But it's a guy who he's just he 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 holds his cards close to his vest and he's just thinking a lot more than what he's saying. Um, and 
they're just I, I just thought he was like a, a surprisingly really subtle kind of character um, who you know that could have been overplayed a lot and uh, but anyway, but yeah he reminds me of a lot of guys I knew in Boston that sense of um, these guys that hold their cards close to their chest this very kind of Yankee New England sort of way um, and then of course Walter is is the you know our version of Walter is is um, like I said the, the fact that he's a he's a good man who's done terrible things um, I think it's just such a compelling storyline. How about you, Brent? Who are your favorites? My favorites? Um, well, Walter, of course. Um, and the original Walter. You know, not. Um, I thought it was very funny how they, I think it was season three where they started doing the parallel universe. And they started making up names for the alternate versions of themselves. <laughs> so the bad Walter was Walternate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you had... Uh, Bolivia as the other Olivia. Um, I know. Was uh, it Bolivia? No, Fol or Folivia. 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 Folivia to start with, and then later on, I think it was season four or five, they started calling her Bolivia. So I think it's like <laughs> later on, she uh, after the whole alternate universe with Peter thing, she became a nicer person, mm-hmm. and so they started calling her Bolivia then. But it's uh, hilarious. Uh, but I loved, I loved Walter. I love that um, he's he had the most development and the best character arc because, like you said, first of all, he's absolutely hilarious, and you, you feel sorry for him because he has mental problems. He's older. He's he's a genius, but he is so socially awkward. Um, but like you said, it has to do with taking the parts out of his brain. But and he wants so bad to be such a great father, but you know, years ago he was kind of a horrible person. So we see over this whole series his quest for redemption you know over the whole five years and even up to the last episode and the the other character i would say is um it took me by surprise because i thought it would be olivia or peter being those were the main three but um i just loved astrid oh yeah especially the alternate the alternate astrid was a really sweet yeah yeah and i had no idea about her because I don't remember her on the commercials or anything, so I thought she was just going to be a side character, you know, just show up once in a while, Walter's lab assistant. But uh, she definitely turned into more of that. She was, and he never uh, remembered was, her name, which was really funny. That was so hilarious. He would always get her name wrong. Um, <laughs> and I, I had a, you know, asterisk or asteroid or ostrich or astro or <laughs> all these things. And I noticed there was one episode um, where she got... Uh, because of what he was doing, he accidentally got her hurt, and that's when he got her name right. Hmm. And and that struck me because it reminded me, tying into Doctor Who, it reminded me of when Ace always called the Doctor Professor. Until she was scared, she called him Doctor. And so that kind of tied in there with me about that. So. <laughs> There is more than one of everything. Well, also, and and Eric, you haven't probably explored this too much, but in the very first seasons of Doctor Who, the Doctor can't get his companion's name right. He he calls uh, Ian Chesterton all sorts. He never says he never gets Chesterton until until he's like they they form a bond with one another, and it's mm. it's all over the map. Well, which of the classic Who stuff would you guys recommend um, 
for me to watch. Have you watched uh, Unearthly Child, the very first episode? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's first and foremost for me. I think that if you're going to go back and watch some of it, that would be the very first one that I would I would watch. Um, uh, I mean, I can recommend ones that I like. Like, <clears throat> there are... Okay, let me go back. Are you going to watch it in one sitting, or would you be willing to watch a 20-minute episode of a story over a four night, like four separate nights or once a week, that kind of thing. Cause watching classic who in one sitting can be, can be problematic. It doesn't always mm-hmm. work that well. I would probably, yeah, I think I would probably break them up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch. Everyone has their, their recommendations. If you like Rose, I mean, there's a bunch of third doctor stuff that I, I really like. You've already watched city of death. That's my favorite. Yeah, I like. I actually surprisingly how much I like the Third Doctor. Yeah, I think Carnival Monsters is a good one, which is then followed by Frontier in Space. That's a solid one. Spearhead in Space, the first Third Doctor story, is really good. Uh, God, there's actually yeah, there's a lot of really good Third Doctor stuff out there. Um, I think you just based off of listening to stories that you like to talk about. I think you would like stories written by Malcolm Hulk. In fact, hmm. Invasion invasion of the Dinosaurs might be a really good one. I think you'd really get a kick out of that. Um, oh, oh, no, what am I talking about? Are you kidding me? Uh, you need to watch Inferno. If you like alternate universes, you need to watch Inferno. I had that in my notes, too. Yep. To, t- yep. to tie in with Fringe. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Which one, which era was that? At season seven, uh, it's, it's, it's the um, first season of The Third Doctor. And it's okay. the last episode of that series, Inferno. It's a seven-parter, and I don't recommend sitting down and watching it all in one sitting. No. Uh, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a six-parter, but I think it's a seven-parter. It's um, seven. Yeah. I definitely take that in, in stride and, you know, just bear with it. But it's a, it's a really good story, uh, and, and it, it involves stuff that you will like. Cool. I mean, I think that the thing that I really crave when I watch Classic Who um, – are the moments, uh, the relationships between the companions and and the doctor, where I feel like there's something going on, and it's not just what's that doctor. <laughs> um, yes, and so that's kind of what I'm really craving. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard that actually the fifth doctor and Tegan is an interesting relationship as well to kind of explore. Yeah, it's true. There's some fifth doctor stories that are really fun, um, particularly the Christopher Bailey stuff, like Kinda, uh, where it it starts exploring really different modes of storytelling mm-hmm. uh it kind of goes into buddhism that's kind of fascinating hmm. but again it it's it's up to the individual you know when when someone says what should i watch i'm like well what do you like that's the beautiful thing about doctor who <laughs> going yeah. going back to that that favorite subject of ours there's there's enough out there that you're you're probably going to find something that you like yeah i find, i even watched the um Children in Need short with uh, Peter Davison and uh, David Tennant. That's I listen. There are many people who consider that canon. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, it's solid. In fact, if you haven't if you haven't watched um, Stephen Moffat's very first Doctor Who episode, um, which is the Curse of Fatal Death, it's a comedy special from 1999. Oh, I I've heard about no... this with uh, with uh, Mr. Bean. Yes. Mm-hmm. I won't say anything else about it because it would the surprises are worth 
being unspoiled for. It's only 20 minutes long. You can find it on YouTube. Sit down and watch it. It's it's solid. It's really good, and it's it is a knowing that that is Moffat's first episode. Is I watch it before the Christmas special. Okay. What other stuff? I mean, the stuff that you were telling me about when I was talking about the the Davies era um, shows I liked, and you were that was really interesting that you were telling me that these were based on. Uh, you know, stuff from the novels or, or audio finish, um, big audio, big audio finish, big finish, big, big finish, finish audio, right. big finish audio. Uh, what are some of the really interesting sort of facts that I may not know about that particular era that I really liked in terms of, you know, where that stuff comes from or things I may not know that may inform make you know, help me understand like, Oh yeah, of course. That's why, why I like it. Well, I can tell you one thing, um, as a, as a, good way for you to get into big finish if you want to try it out mm-hmm. and and again you, you can you can buy the cds or you can just buy the downloads you don't you know they're they're a little cheaper you can buy the downloads and just listen to them but there is recently a uh, 10th doctor audio um, last year they did season one with donna and then just last month they released season two with rose and this three three stories each i think wow when do they set the three that they did last year were with Donna, so they're set in season four. And then the new ones uh, that came out last month are set somewhere around season two, um, maybe the middle of season two. Yeah, they're not, um, they're roughly, it's not like, you know, well, it's exactly after Satan's Pit, you know? It's like, it's very just roughly I, I in that season. I don't think it's squeezed in into two particular episodes, but, it, yeah. you know, it could probably fit in yeah. anywhere in that year. Yeah, Most of the big finish... Uh, I think the the novelizations tried to say this is happening at this time, um, but most of Big Finish is sort of it's it's canon, but it's not canon, and so it's the idea is it's sort of nebulous because uh, I think Tom Baker's about to launch a new season with a new companion who never appeared on the TV show, so this is mm. you know it fits in there somewhere. I have a friend who has a brilliant collection of all the big finish and all the books and all the graphic novels and everything. And he has it on a shelf chronologically as it, as it, not how it was published, but how it would appear in the doctor's life. And mm. so you could go, okay, it's this, this, uh, you know, the unearthly child. But before that, there were some prequel stories that came out. So he has those there. And then he has big finish audio that goes in before they go into their second story with the Daleks. And, you know, it's just, he's got a massive library. I'm very envious of it. So are you guys, where do you, where do you guys fit in terms of like, what are your favorite doctors? What are your favorite eras? My favorite doctor is whatever one I'm watching on TV at the time or listening to. Uh, Hmm. I, I really, I just, I love the show. And there are some stories I like more than others. There are more, some doctors who I think I'm more consistently enjoyable for me. But, you know, there's something good in all of it. I will say, Eric, um, you, you say that you're watching the new ones and you enjoy the new ones. And then when you went back to watch the old ones, they were really slow and, and really different type of show. Um, probably the best transition I can think of from the new series to the classic is maybe watching um, uh, Remembrance of the Daleks or Curse of Fenric. Here, here. Yeah. And both of those are uh, Seventh Doctor stories with Ace, but they are like really high paced, lots of action, um, and it's very, very similar to uh, when the show came back in 2005 to me. But Remembrance of the Daleks, what was the second one? 
the curse of Finric. Okay. Yeah. If down. you were to take all of Doctor Who, uh, you know, if like a hundred years in the future, someone were to look at Doctor Who and they weren't concerned about when the program came out chronologically, but looked at it narratively, the 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 second season of McCoy's Doctor really feels like proto modern Who. Like it starts to feel like that's the beginning of it, and then it moves to the '96 movie, which is very similar to what Doctor Who was eventually going to be with Rose. And so, you know, McCoy's last couple of seasons and the 96 movie really feel like a, a, a pretty solid prequel to uh, the the re, revisioning of it in, in 2005, in my opinion. Yeah, I'll check it out. So, Eric, uh, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I've actually been really looking forward to it. I was like, I have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. And and you know what? Let's definitely get you back on and we'll come back from time to time and, and see if you, you know, see your thoughts and see what you've been up to. Uh, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you and you want them to get in touch with you? Uh, well, uh, imaginaryworldspodcast.org is my website. Most people get in touch with me either through the Imaginary Worlds Facebook page or they just kind of tweet at me at uh, E. Malinsky. Well, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for listening to Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixel who. Who and Company can now be found on iheartradio.com or you can download the podcast directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. You can also contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. See you next month. Sorry. You see, the point is this, uh, that with this type of auditory uh, phenomena uh, taken to its ultrasonic extreme can be fatal, um, and, and the way it affects the brain, it could well have induced some type of vegetative trance before death. Which would also explain the trauma to the inner ear. So we're looking for some kind of deadly music box? No, it's ultrasonic, so you wouldn't be able to hear it. The frequency is too high. Silent but deadly. <laughs> Speaking of which... A step away. Delightful, Walter. Well, bring the body back to the lab. Uh, and also, I, I'd like some vanilla ice cream. Kirk out. <laughs>